Joining us on Moving Radio today is one of the filmmakers that's going to be featured as part of Fava Fest 2022, where they bring unique visions, perspectives, and stories from Fava members together under one festival, starting May 24th to 28th at the Orange Hub. You can find out more by going to fava.ca, but I'm lucky enough to talk to Heather Hatch, as I said before, and we'll be discussing her film, Wohichi Lo, End of Peace. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making time. I know you're very, very busy. Not always, but currently, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That's a good thing to be incredibly busy. I was really impressed by this film. I saw the first, I believe it was the first feature that you had done, and it premiered at Edmonton Film Festival a couple of years ago as well, too. Wohichi Lo is a little bit different. It follows the coalition of a resistance led by like West Moberly First Nation and Prophet River. And specifically, the film takes a look at a couple of different people, Diane Abel and Chief Roland Wilson. So maybe for anybody in the audience that doesn't have a handle on what is happening up there, can you tell us a little bit about their battle? in Treaty 8 territory against the BC government. So in Treaty 8, I believe there's 40 nations under this treaty. And in Northern British Columbia, there are six nations. And two of those nations are West Moberly and Prophet River. And they're two of the smallest nations in this treaty, with West Moberly having 300 members. So it's a really uh, David and Goliath story, two tiny nations trying to take on a crown corporation, which is BC Hydro, as well as their own government, as well as the federal government in regards to their treaty. So it's been a long and expensive battle going on for generations, actually. And this is a project that you've been working on. I mean, clearly the the problems with BC Hydro have been going on for a little bit longer, but this film itself, uh, Wahichi Lo, End of Peace, is something you've been working on for several years, five years, I believe. So it's got to be difficult for maybe a lot of people to understand the severe environmental and not only environmental, but kind of emotional ramifications that the Bennett Dam and the proposed Site C has for the people that live in Treaty 8. For anyone who may not be aware of the harm that uh, these BC Hydro projects have caused to the area, let's give them a little bit of background on that too, because it's a vital part of the story. Back in 1960, the Bennett Dam was constructed on the Peace River. At the time was the world's largest dam and BC Bennett was on the cover of time actually. This first dam generated a lot of power, did great things, like uh, Vancouver wouldn't be the city it is, but it also had incredible devastating impacts on the First Nations that lived on the river system there. So that would be uh, the Quadisha and the Seikidane Nations. And at the time, BC Hydro didn't tell them or consult with them uh, what was going to happen. And basically it was like Armageddon in the sense that they killed off the wildlife, they didn't clear the trees. Um, so the waterways were useless and killed people afterwards, but also any homes that were left were burnt and their their burial grounds went under the, under the water. So basically it just devastated their home and they were moved to land they weren't connected to. And when I say connection to land, I don't mean like they liked it, it's who they are is, is part of them with the land. So it was very harmful to them as a, a culture and as, you know, as you said, emotional. So what happens now is 30 or many years later, we're doing the same thing, uh, building another dam, except this time there really is justification for the power. And I think that's one of the differences. And the consultation isn't really asking them what they can do. It's telling them what they can do is <laughs> how consultation works for these nations. This last bit of river, it actually affects the waterway all the way up to Port Chippewan. So basically the nations that use the river all the way up to the delta there 
um, are going to be impacted. So how it impacts them is the flooding of the soil creates a reaction called methyl mercury, which poisons the fish in the water, which makes them inedible. And what that does then is the whole ecosystem gets a little messed up because birds eat fish, and like, it, you know, and then the land around it gets poisoned. And one of the biggest things they're fighting is that uh, hydropower kind of has a really nice, sexy look to it of being clean, green energy, but it's actually has huge environmental impacts, even on, like I said, that delta, which will go lower and lower and cause more harm to the people up there who are already devastated from the first step. It's difficult because there's so much, like, it, you've done a really fantastic job here, Heather, in taking an issue that is 30 years in the making plus uh, with a lot of dense nuances to it and broke it down into something that, you know, even for myself, somebody that had no context of it, even though they live in this province for it and really make it understandable for you. Do you find with something like this, that dealing with an issue that is so much larger and has a lot of history to it, does that make it a more difficult story to tell in 90 minutes? Or do you feel like a rich history helps you as a director? I think that's, it, it's a balancing walk. You always play between context and story. So, <laughs> I mean, you have to kind of choose what you'll focus on. And for me, the film focuses mostly on the treaty, how this dam actually violates the treaty for the nation. And I think there's a lot of focuses you could go through, like, or more explanations you can give, but I basically tried to give the information on moving points. So whatever information I'm giving is also trying to move the story along. We are speaking on the phone today with Heather Hatch, uh, the director of the film Wahichi Lo, End of the Peace. It's going to be screening as part of FavaFest from May 24th to the 28th with all the other screenings. It's pay what you can once you get there at the Orange Hub in the West End of Edmonton. For more information, check out fava.ca. Like as much as this is a story that's difficult to believe in some ways, it's absolutely nothing new. Do you feel like there's been a level of maybe empowerment in the last two decades or so now that stories like this are actually being told by First Nations filmmakers? Or do you feel like the bureaucracy of the government is so powerful and it doesn't really matter who's in, in power? Because we even see in your film that, you know, a change over the BC government didn't help this at all. Do you think that that is just like a speed bump or do you feel like films like this are really helping push the message forward and have an even more powerful impact than they did 20 years ago. I thought about this a lot. I had a screening in Vancouver last week and Diane Abel and our family uh, and some other members of Westmoreland were able to attend. And it was so powerful because Diane came up to speak afterwards and you know, some time has passed since the release of the film and since the you know, post-production um, since I was filming a couple years at least and uh, you know the impacts in the valley are way more worse than what you see in the movie even though I'm documenting the, the destruction of the valley at the time it looks way different I don't know how to explain it but it looks barren and the dam is built a lot bigger and really what this means is if you watch the film they did you talk about divide and conquer uh, methodologies used but West Mobley was actually in the end the only nation left in the fight. And I think, you know, Blueberry Nation in the same area won, uh, won a case that it was infringement. And so BC Hydro is trying to settle outside of port with West Mobley. And I don't know much more about that. 
but I think that it feel like a loss because basically when I say in the film that they will go to court before the Red Spores film, that doesn't mean that they won't destroy the valley and build it down. So when Diane's speaking about this, it's it feels like a loss and, and it feels like a big one. And I think my answer to the question is it's documented. So this truth and reconciliation years, this is happening. This is what it looks like. So do I think governments will change? No, but will this help people understand how much work we have to do together as a nation? Yes, and I think in that way it'll have an effect. Of course, I still hope that the dam we built in this film will help change people's minds, but I think in the long run, the film will end up as a, a learning tool for you know the truth. You know, the other difficult thing about something like this is a subject that you spent a lot of time on the film itself, but you create such like strong relationships with people like Diane Abel, who you've mentioned already. Talk to us a little bit about not only just the human relationships you're making with these people there, but also even in just you talking about going back to that area and the relationship with that place, with the land. Do you feel like that resonates more for you as a director and makes you a better director or does it make it tougher because you're like, I'm feeling so deeply connected to the people and the places uh, that it makes the project difficult, necessary, but difficult. You know, when a film takes several years to make it, and it's my first feature, it definitely has, it defines me a little bit on how I tell story, what my ethics are as a documentary, when I make a documentary. And absolutely, I mean, Diane has spent time in Haida Gwaii with my own Manai. Like there's connections going here. I, I mean, I looked at the land and the river as precious. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I think this is the death of a, of a spiritual being in the water. And I also think when you see anything decimated, it's it doesn't look pretty. But when you've spent time honoring it in story, yeah, it, it is devastating. But then I always think, but it's not me that's losing my, you know, culture. This is this devastation is a like a, a cultural ethnocide. That's what, how I think about it. I did everything I could to tell their story through them through their eyes and and to raise awareness. But I'm not the one that has to now live, you know, at a reservoir where my ancestors used to walk. How do you think growing from one project, from your last project with a woman who returns from 2017, which is short, how do you think that you have kind of evolved as a director uh, through to a film like this, like Wahichi Lo, End of the Peace? I always think that, you know, listening and preparing is, is important. I guess in chemistry with your subjects is important too. Um, I like Diane. <laughs> And so it comes across in the film. And Roland is an incredible speaker and charismatic and charming. And that comes through. So I think, I guess, how does it grow? I mean, when I made Woman Who Returns, I'd never made a movie before. And I was Googling how to like write a story sheet. So <laughs> um, I've certainly got a lot more education through FAVA, actually, through their programs after that. My, and my first subject was about me and my family. So it was a little easier to have an understanding but when you're telling somebody else's story it's really about listening and listening and listening and then working with them and then you know sourcing the footage was also a big learning curve for me because I had some footage of the Seike Dene people and when sourcing the footage I ended up talking to another filmmaker Luke Gleason who made a film called Scattering of Man 
and you know I had the rights to use the, the footage because I sourced it to like the CBC but it, the nation didn't want me to use it and then so I didn't um, after talking about it with the minister I think that sort of like ethical consulting is super important. Well, one of the last things I want to talk about was what you just kind of alluded to before. And, and because it's under the banner of Fava Fest uh, 2022, March, May 24th to the 28th at the Orange Hub is just a little bit about that importance of Fava as a resource and what your connection is to the Film and Video Arts Society of Alberta and, uh, and how you think that it has been a foundation that's helped you out as a not-for-profit. So I took the Fava Video Kitchen, which is a great course. It teaches you how to, you know, from turning the camera on to how to craft a story. And those technical skills are super important. <laughs> even just, even if you're not going to be a DOP, you still need to kind of know how to do things. And you might have to run and gun it when you're doing documentary on your own sometimes. So it certainly taught me a lot uh, that way. And then, you know, you pay for the course, but it also gives you the gear and the tools to make the film. So it's a really exciting way to start out as a filmmaker if you uh, don't want to go to film school, which is very expensive. And then, you know, you end up making friends who are interested in the same thing as you are too, because they're there to learn how to do a film. And then I took the master class, which was a little more involved. And uh, yeah, I took their Super 8 challenge one year um, and fell in love with the medium of the, of the Super 8. And I took their screenwriting class to help me with this movie, actually, to try to structure it. So it's really a great resource, actually. And then, you know, I still do art projects and then the rentals when I need them from Fava are at lower cost when it's not commercial. So it's really helpful to um, create, you know, artistic pieces as well. Yeah, it's absolutely a, a vital resource for a lot of filmmakers, not necessarily just in Edmonton, but in Northern Alberta and maybe even a little bit beyond. Uh, Heather, your film is amazing. It is heartbreaking. It's insightful. Uh, it's thought-provoking, and uh, it's a fantastic piece that you can see called Wahichi Lo, End of the Piece. And that's going to be as part of Fava Fest, May 24th to 28th at the Orange Hub. Go to fava.ca, that's F-A-V-A dot C-A, to find out more information. Heather, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the film. Yeah, well, thanks for watching, and thanks for the interview. <laughs>